Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of a diplomatic. <laughs> okay, so it's as bad as I thought it was. I do know some of the I do know some of the history of some of these experiments, but let's maybe go back to the A/B testing part. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everyone. Again, welcome back to Design Huddle. Uh, Ryan is out again, so we're playing tag with Ryan at the moment. Um, but we have a special guest today, Carl Salisbury. I can't read or spell, <laughs> but at the moment he's working at Adyen. We're, we're debating. I was trying to pronounce it before I said Adyen because again I can't read. Um, and it works with like really big companies such as Uber, Wise, Spotify, eBay, Microsoft, and LinkedIn. Um, yeah, so welcome. No, that was good. great. Thanks, thanks for having me. So we posted a thing on LinkedIn, and then you, we were talking about um, dark patterns in 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 the travel industry, or especially. Mm -hmm where it does feel like users are being tricked to sign up for things. Um, and like the generic design industry is like, well, this is terrible. But as, as a UX designer who's worked in that industry, I mean, how do you, you responded on uh, in LinkedIn in quite um, a positive way, but I'm just curious, how would you respond to that again? Mm -hmm. I think it depends what you mean by dark patterns. Uh, but for the most case, I agree. And I, I think what a lot of people are referring to when they think of dark patterns can be things like highlighting urgency. So when a property might have a limited amount of rooms on, on an online travel agent website like booking.com or Expedia, and then there's a message that highlights that there's only a certain amount of rooms there. Uh, that's not necessarily always true. Uh, and it is stated <laughs> really? usually. That, well, it's, it, it is stated on the website that that's, that's how many rooms might be available on their website but it doesn't mean that the property's released all of those rooms yet or that they may not be available elsewhere so i think there is more transparency around that now um but yeah it definitely can can feel like a pressure tactic for sure um, um but i mean are those things does i mean say like all the execs or the designer pm and eng is in in a room to go it's okay we've got um, a metric like we need to push people to get through the process quicker I mean, how do these, I mean, do these concepts just are, uh, gradually evolve from there? Or someone goes, okay, let's lie. I mean, obviously people are not saying, well, let's lie to the users. I mean, how do they actually, because <laughs> this is like, you know, the consp when someone's not in the room, they all these kind of like, oh, this people evil, like, all oh, right, they're, they're, you know, how, more, how, how can we trick them? But it's usually a lot more um, scattier than that, I find. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of a diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> I do know some of the I do know some of the history of some of these experiments, but let's maybe go back to the A/B testing part. So, everything that you would see, if we're talking about Booking.com specifically, um, majority of the things on that website are done vetted through A/B tests, yeah. and then that that is that is using metrics, which could sometimes be how many customers uh, book. Then there could be other metrics like things like uh, are they contacting customer service, and then you know any other sort of behavioural metrics you might be 
measuring there. And for those who aren't familiar with how A-B testing works, so you have like what we call a base, which is the existing website, and then you have a variant or variation. So you change something and you have a base, you split the traffic in half, and then you see how does one perform against the other. And there's a lot more to it than that, but that's more or less how it works. Yeah. Um, so most, most of those sort of things have been evaluated through A-B tests, but it is only one data point. So there's also the qualitative research when you might go and talk to users and see how they feel about uh, you know, messages of urgency. I, I think it is a known problem, um, but then also that the experiments are also tied to business metrics as well. So there's that, that really is the challenge for most designers working in that space or any company really that's very A-B testing driven is that yeah. it can be very difficult to change things. So what would you say the most important metric in the travel industry is then? For travel uh, yeah. or bookings, more or less, yeah. Uh, for the business, I'd say bookings. Um, then if you're also thinking of like your operational scalability, it's uh, how many guests contact customer service. So generally you don't really want, um, well, for lack of a better word, pissed off guests because yeah, of course. it also means that your, your call centers can't handle all that inbound so guest satisfaction is is still very important yeah um, but you know more existentially it's about the the bookings and then i'd say it's also yeah around yeah the, the contact between contact with the guests with the online travel agents but then also like contact between the guests and the properties that's another thing that's that's of a concern too so there's not too much back and forth thing between those things so like say you have um i don't know if you did okrs at booking.com or um at the flight travel center or site flight center travel rather um but your team is told we need to increase bookings by x amount um what is the what does that ideation look like for your team like are you sitting in a room thinking okay what are the ways that can improve the existing booking experience versus adding things that increase the urgency um so i think it, it depends on what what you're working on because there's a lot of different um, pieces that come together to form like a website like booking.com and I can't speak so much for other online travel agents but I'd say it's probably similar with Airbnbs you have depends how the business is split up so there might be teams that might need to optimize like a booking funnel and that's more on the where the guest is is looking to book but then there's also teams that will be looking on the sourcing side of things so can they get better better prices from the properties or also can they sort of reduce some of the operational load that the properties have as well so it's it's quite granular so just a, i think every team will have an objective that will be based on like how does that piece sort of fit in with this overall thing of you know generating bookings so it's it's usually i'd say i wouldn't say it's like every team is like yeah we need to increase bookings they they might be focused on a particular metric yeah i mean in terms of um the actual user journey and flow are you mapping out from start to finish or can other folks from other orcs say well actually in these bookings we need to include these check boxes or these radio buttons that upsell stuff because i think one of the other uh, considered mm. dark patterns you know so i think this is for all forms for marketing forms yep. as well like that check boxes are automatically selected like in travel it's like insurance is already selected i mean do you have much as a designer do you have much control in that space I think it depends on the topic and, and what it is you're working on. So I'd, I'd say, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it from booking, but it's, I'd say because everything is vetted through A-B tests, it 
can be challenging there to to change things um, if that's the primary sort of thing that gatekeeps decisions. Yeah, um, I would say that designers do have capacity to change things, but they also need to prove that it's better. And yeah, that's, so that's from an experience point of view, but also from a business point of view, is it gonna is it gonna lose a lot of money for the business too, and will that affect you know, how competitive it is with other online travel agents? So it's hard to make the ethical argument if the existing A/B test result shows that by doing this, you've increased um, revenue by X amount, basically. Well, it, the test could have also been run many years ago. It's hard to sort of, if you're trying to change it, then you're almost like if you're introducing bad news, that, that's a classic problem with a lot of A-B tests is if something introduces something to uh, someone who's booking who's not aware of that, then most of the time that will, that will mean that people will book less. So, so you really have to prove that it's better. Yeah for overall i mean how what do you think about the a b testing method in general i mean did mm. i mean clearly something is working for booking.com like because they're very successful um mm. but i've always seen like there's an over reliance on a b testing that may not be fully accurate i i actually agree so i i think i think a b testing is generally a good thing it brings a level of objectivity and like some scientific rigor to design I, I think it removes a lot of biases that teams have in their decision making which might be that the product manager maybe wants a certain feature or maybe one person feels strongly about it or there could be some bias in the, the qualitative research so it does give you a concrete sort of picture on what the path forward might be but I, I don't think it should be the only data point in decision making because I think you also have these classic problems like false positives or false negatives where um, what this might be is if you think of like the medical example of A-B tests when they, you're running a clinical study and then a false positive might be that uh, a test says that someone is, is pregnant when they're clearly pregnant so then you know that's that's a false positive um, I hope that's the probably a good example but but that's where you need the you need to sort of also use the common sense and saying like is this actually better so looking at all the data points and I think to be fair that that is more the case at booking that a lot of there is more maturity there in in looking at other data points um, but then you also need to look at the business impact as well so it's a it's a challenging space for designers to work with a b tests yeah I mean were you doing uh, a sort of qualitative research as well where you're actually interviewing people because I, I suppose one of the challenges of these kind of flows is that it's hard to put a realistic thing in front of someone and observe them because people are booking flights at a very specific time with a very specific urgency or like you know if it's a holiday or if it's like an emergency or like there is always it's always very tied to like you know um it's a very hard space to um emulate the kind of you know because travel is one of the most stressful things and obviously now since covid it's probably even more stressful yeah. Um, so how do you actually can do that meaningfully? So, like, because A/B the great thing about A/B test is you're actually observing people doing stuff in real time, um, but you don't necessarily know why. But like, exactly. how do you get that from um, the more qualitative stuff? No, that makes sense. So I will say first of all that at Booking they do uh, quite a lot of qualitative research. Um, it's, research is very much like part in the DNA of the company and A-B testing is also a research method. It's just a, a different kind of research. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's tricky. So 
there's a lot of different trip types too that you might have noticed, right? So you could be traveling for leisure, maybe for business, but there could, there could be other purposes, right? So you might need to travel to to a funeral, for example, yeah, or yeah. maybe sick relatives. So there's lots of different reasons why you would travel. And then there's different types of bookings that people make. So it might be a couple or you could be on your own, but then you might also be in like a family or in a group. And, and that's, I think, where it gets a bit messy because most of the, I think across most online travel agents, it's optimized very much for like singles and couples. That's, yeah. that's like the main use case. And then I think uh, the missed opportunity is, is more around groups and families and those other sort of trip types that I think haven't really been served so well, even business actually. How would you, if you were to have a magic wand and make it, <laughs> make it easy, I mean, what sort of things would you think are missing for like those sorts of experiences? Um, just across different trip types. Or do, mean? I mean, I'm, because I have kids, more family. <laughs> like what, what do you think is missing that could make it easier like from the UI point of view or experience? I, I think just not just focusing on those primary use cases and thinking more about, okay, when you have a group coming to stay at a property, what does that look like? How do you sort of, how does the property know how many people are actually trying to fit into that room? And similarly with like a family, you know, can that actually accommodate a family? Uh, I think that's, um, that's where it needs... There needs to be a bit more structural change to how these uh, like booking websites actually work because they're they're very much optimized for where they get most of their bookings. I think less so for these different use cases. And, and as you were speaking, a thing popped into my head, especially like the booking thing. Um, me and Ryan have spoken about this in the past of like iconography and stuff. Like well, you have mm -hmm. a lot of like some of these places have a lot of information that need to convey Wi-Fi, pet friendly, all that. I mean. What did you find was the most effective? I've always sat on the thing that if you're going to use iconography, you have to use labels because yep. interpret you leave stuff down to interpretation. Often people make the wrong one. And that's the worst thing is to end up at a hotel with a pet when it's like not pet friendly because you misunderstood an icon. I mean, how did you deal with that mm. immense amount of information that has to be customizable as well, depending on location and whatnot? Yeah, I, mean, I think icons are quite problematic, right? particularly when you look at um, different cultural interpretations. So you could have, yeah, maybe if you said there's like an icon for a chapel, but maybe you're in the Middle East, maybe that should be the the moon and the and the star yeah. icon. Or similarly with like, you know, maybe a piggy bank for money, but then the, a pig could also be offensive <laughs> in other countries. Yeah. So like, that's where icons, like they're not really that universal. So I, I think that's where you need the labels, right? To really describe like what the thing actually means. Some some icons, I guess, get learned. I think you guys also mentioned like the Wi-Fi icon. A lot of yeah. people know what it means now because we've learned it. But um, yeah, it depends. Is it drawing on like a metaphor from the real world or did you just learn it somewhere? And depending on your cultural background, particularly if you're you know, coming from different um, countries where maybe you didn't grow up with, with computers and your first experience was through a, was through a smartphone and um, you're maybe not as exposed to to icons, they might just have different interpretations. So, um, I'd say, I'd say they help, but with, with something like like the Booking.com website, everything's translated into a bunch of different languages. I'd say it's more reliant on on copy than icons. The icons are just like there to help a little bit. It's yeah. Been my impression. So I mean, because most um, we find that a majority of users scan read, they don't actually fully read. Mm. So how do you deal with that with that immense amount of information? I mean, there's a lot of UX. And also because a lot of this stuff is generated by the 
uh, vendors themselves, presumably, like they're not necessarily like Booking.com is not get hiring a UX writer for every single property, are they? No. So the 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 copy on the website is generated. Um, the information is provided by the property. Some of it is vetted. Some of it isn't. And this this is a real challenge with with a platform at that scale because it is essentially a marketplace. So a yeah. lot of consumers will see it being more like uh, going and booking with the property directly. In reality, it's it's more like buying something on eBay. So there's uh, you know the booking.com is more of a middleman. Yeah. So it's it's difficult to yeah you have to vet. Not all the information is vetted. Um, but to answer your question about the scannability, I don't know if I'm actually the best person to answer that, to be honest. <laughs> no, I'm just so, curious is like, you know, it's like a, if, if, if you notice a difference between like bookings that which had a lot of text versus a little, because uh, I mean, some users really appreciate a lot of information, but I think most are trying to make a decision within a specific set time, right? Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Look, part of this is my opinion, but part of it's also things that I've observed. I'd say generally it, it depends on who's booking. So different information will be important to different people. As you mentioned before, like you travel with your family. So there's things to you that would be important that might be different to me. If I'm say, just going to book a property by myself, I might just be primarily looking for a room. Maybe I'm not so worried about what are the facilities of the property. Yeah. You know, can kids be accommodated? So I think it, the information caters to different audiences. I'd say what seems to work is more is better, but I think that's just if you've got a platform that's catering to a lot of different people, yeah. then uh, generally the more information converts. But I think that's just because you're dealing with such a volume of bookers. Yeah. I mean, what do you think would be the most important thing to know about the travel industry as a designer? Um, that's a good question, actually. I mean, I've only I've seen it from a few different sides. So the first was Flight Center Group is, uh, it's a very old company, so it's 40 years old, started by a guy who used to, um, you know, fix up old school buses and take people on um, tours from London to Morocco. And uh, then he started the company back in Australia and went from there and then worked in the retail space. Um, the reason I say that is it's actually a really old industry and a lot of the systems that are in place that actually source the availability so that's you know the the rooms that are available to sell and the way all these properties operate it's it's been around for a long time and i think it's it's been a bit of an awkward transition into the online space where you know, a lot of this stuff's become a lot more commodified because back in the old days you might have gone and booked at the property directly or called them up on the phone or looked in the Lonely planet guidebook but now it's a very different space i think some some properties really adapted and really get it and offer things that are really beneficial to consumers like citizen m is amazing as a, as a hotel chain yeah. but then there's a lot of other older ones that maybe haven't adapted as well and some of them are getting phased out so i'd say yeah that's that's what i'd say is like the thing to keep in mind with it is it, it's it's a very there's a lot of legacy technology there and i'd say similar with flights too i mean the the systems that flights work on, like a lot of these go back to the 60s and they just got all capitals text, like these global distribution systems that actually connect the flight booking websites to the, um, I'm trying to say the airlines. Yeah. So yeah, just a lot of the backend tech and the way these businesses operate is just really, really old school. 
So there's there's a lot of challenges there just on on the operational side of things. I think dealing that's where... with legacy tech and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I think just also just just improving the efficiencies as well. It's just um, it's probably not as good as it could be. There's a lot of opportunity there to improve like how the industry operates. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that sort of seems to tie neatly into banking, which is also a huge legacy system. And as you're yeah. working at Adyen as a payment provider, um, mm. would you see the, the similarities between that? Or, I mean, is Adyen very new? Mm, we're not that new, actually. I think we're we're about 10 years old now. So we're, we're a publicly listed company. So I think we went public a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, Adyen is maybe similar in the sense that we're also a middleman. So we're, we're a business that we handle uh, payments for lots of different companies. Um, when I say we do payments for some of these big brands, we don't necessarily even render the UI in the browser. We might even just be doing it through an API. Yeah. So like actually the movement of money is, is really messy, particularly when you're dealing with different currencies, different local payment methods. So if you look at, for example, um, the way banks are set up, and, you know, if you need to do what's called acquiring, so actually taking the, the money, um, that, that can be really difficult and also expensive to do as a business because you need to have relationships with all these different banks. So being a middleman in that sense helps when you can kind of connect these different companies to the money and allow it to flow. Yeah. So I think that's where, yeah, the, the banks, I, I think, haven't really done a good job of that. So that's where a lot of these payment processes like Adyen and Stripe have come in and really filled that niche in the market where it's just been really hard to get money from point A to point B. So yeah, so yeah there, there's a lot there's a lot to be done in that space. I find that these payment companies remind me a bit like the difference between, say, Uber and the huge taxi companies that used to just service businesses, that Uber came out of nowhere and a lot of these companies went bust because they made it really hard like to create the great service design and UX experience where these companies like Adyen uh, that you work for just make it so easy like because it, it's solving a really complicated problem um, uh, and you know companies like I suppose Wise and Spotify they just want money to go through them. I mean they don't want to have to have a whole department dealing with that so as a designer where you're dealing with things where it's almost like on the API level working with um, that must be quite interesting because a lot of it is not UI. It's a UX that's engineered by the developers. So where do you feel you fit in that as a designer? I think I'm still trying to figure that out myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's been an interesting topic. So I work on documentation, which is yeah also designing the content management system that, that powers the docs. So they're all generated by like Markdown and YAML yeah. files. But um, then it's also, I think it's it's a UX problem like anything you might work on if you go and uh, yeah, it's like developers are users, they're people like anyone else. And I think you know, Stripe's done an amazing job of like really being the gold standard in developer experience. We see that they've, it's, it's if you look at their site, it's for developers, but it's it's more almost looks more like a consumer site, right? With their, with their documentation. That's sort of what we're also, what I'm also aspiring to do with Docs at Adyen is really just treat developers like any user you might yeah. have. So they, they do they do like um, you know beautiful UI UX. You know usability is really important, and they run and in, fall into pain points much like anyone does. So that could be reading the documentation, but also looking at the API reference. Then they could also just be like just considering 
talking to some of the developer advocates who you know go and build example integrations or just sort of find ways to remove some of these pain points that developers fall into when they're trying to integrate with with our platform so i think it's yeah it, it's an interesting space it's I, I don't think it's been explored as much in the past like thinking of developers as like a as an audience and bringing more like consumer grade ux to that space yeah i think it's it's just kind of been developers don't always think about like how do they name space their variables and how or you know how are the APIs designed and how is that perceived by someone externally right so there's very niche problems that maybe haven't been thought of so much but as a design I mean I've worked on um, uh, google.dev I helped launch that which was like basically All a right. documentation wow. site for um, nice for Android and whatever but the thing which was always the biggest struggle with those kind of uh, projects is they're not the most um, sexiest things to work on you know it's like it's, it's not like this you know amazing um app so i mean and but it's such an important problem to solve because it's like uh designing the information in a way that's accessible because that's really hard when there's a lot of stuff that's there and how how do the developers mental model of when they're looking for stuff like even like if you look at say the material design website in the first iteration is very hard to navigate because even they didn't know what the mental model could be and so, so over time it's evolved and become much better um how do you deal with like having to deal with these complex problems which are quite dry i don't want to use the word boring <laughs> um but and still remain inspired that's a good question actually i i think i think for me it's um it's it's quite a broad problem to solve and um I, I usually just approach it like I would anything. I mean, I've, I've worked on consumer facing stuff. I've worked on like B2B stuff. And now I'm sort of working on this niche thing around um, developers. I don't know if it's necessarily what I'll be working on for the rest <laughs> of my career, but it, it's definitely one of the more challenging problems that I've worked on. I think for me, that's what what drives me a lot is like just how how complex is the problem to solve? And then what's what's the impact of solving it? So that sort of keeps me inspired but i think also just looking at some there, there are some great examples of developer portals that just look look amazing right like you look yeah. at some of the tailwind stuff and they're yeah absolutely they just look really nice and it you can actually do yeah, actually some quite quite beautiful ui even catering towards developers i mean at the moment i'm completely overhauling the adyen stocks uh so you, you can get a bit of freedom there in in um creating like quite a beautiful and um intuitive experience and then also the problems are also very very challenging so i think it's it, it does help you to really sharpen your your skills as a designer because it's there's just a lot of complexity to work for work with whereas i think and, on the consumer side often you're just removing a lot of pain points not necessarily yeah. doing something from scratch so i mean just coming up to like the final questions i mean in terms of researching and working with the developers i mean what sort of activity i mean do you talk to the developer community because they're your users basically yeah um, I mean, how do you go about, how does that conversation, because, I mean, doing like a, a card sorting exercise just to figure out what the information I hierarchy can be for something that complex would be quite hard in itself. Because, yeah. you know, you have different types of developers who come from like traditional web developers, uh, a back-end developer who knows a bit of web but doesn't and is trying to think in, you know, so how do you even start something like that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'm sure you've you've tackled with this a bit yourself, but the the approach that I take is, is similar to any b2b ux like i was doing a booking when i was working on like pricing tools that were you know exclusively catered towards you know people like revenue managers or say property managers that sort of thing um 
I think with developers, it's a, it's a similar, it's it's a similar sort of approach. I mean, I, I have a lot of interviews with with merchant developers, basically talking to them about, you know, what's their experience been like using the documentation, what's their experience been like using our APIs, what are the problems that they fall into, but also uh, the feedback loops around having feedback components within the docs themselves, um, feedback that you get from from their account managers as well and then there's also the, the developer advocates who sometimes talk to the developers and um yeah we have like a twitter um at adyen devs as well where we, we get feedback on there so yeah a lot of different inputs really but um but yeah i mean it's it's similar to to like consumer or b2b ux you can also map out the journeys and understand where are the problems that people are falling into where can you remove some of that friction so I think for me the approach is is more or less the same. I think just the audience is more niche and um, and the problems are more complex. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to finish it off, like where do you see product design in the next five years, and where do you see yourself in the next five years? Or is that like wait, <laughs> tech changes so quickly that, and they're completely two different questions. But that's a good question. I, I think it's it's interesting that you mentioned product design because. I was just thinking about job titles the other yeah. day and I've held like a few of them. So I started off as a UX designer and then I went to work as a, a UX architect. Then I worked as a UX designer and now I'm a product designer. So I don't know for how much longer I'll be called a product designer. So I'm guessing it might, the job title might change again. Yeah. But uh, what, what I think is really interesting is I've seen a bit of a convergence of like, I suppose like traditionally what people would call UX and UI and that there seems to be more of an expectation that designers can produce more polished deliverables, which I think is generally a good thing when you focus a bit more on the, not just the execution, but like the quality of that is, is just as important as the design process. Yeah. Um, so I think that's interesting. The, I do think we're probably going to see it expand more into these niche spaces, like, like for developers and then also maybe audiences that we haven't seen headed to as much before like an enterprise tooling there's so much like disruption that can happen there if you look at slack for example you know a lot of enterprise chat tools weren't great and then slack brought in something that was more consumer grade so i think bringing in that approach to these maybe underserved audiences there's there's big opportunities and interesting problems to solve too for designers yeah, absolutely. No, I, I'm just thinking that the number of chat apps I've used throughout my years has probably changed as much as my job title has. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I've always wondered about the product design, UX design thing. I mean, it, it, it sounds like product designer is the more fashionable thing uh, and UX designer is, is on the way out. But um, and I think there's some people with some really strong opinions of what the difference is between them. I, again, it's just I've I, I've been asked by recruiters like, would you like to be a UX designer? It's just basically a marketing web designer job. <laughs> so it's, I, I don't know if these titles really mean anything. So I guess about the responsibility. Um, but yeah, no, uh, thank you so much for like joining us. It was really, really appreciated your um, insight. Me and Ryan tried to cobble our views based on our limited experience on these specific things, but it's really great to hear. Um, it's interesting to hear how for a designer, it can be quite challenging to do what you think is right but then it, there's always business needs because we have to you know there's always you know you always have to make money but um yeah thank you so much um if you have if, if, if folks haven't subscribed please do to the podcast we also are segmenting our uh podcast into videos checking on the youtube channel it's quite small but it's like it's picking up 
um, an audience. So please do join that as well. And thank you so much. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Design Huddle. The opinions expressed are solely our own and do not express the views or opinions of our employer.